Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Are you being funny? You were never funny. Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 202, Ad Astra Per Aspera, comes to you now via the Starfleet Uniform Code of Justice. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode, Pete, in the yin and yang of general uh, podcasting news, general news that uh, affects us. The good news is this, our Secret Invasion premiere podcast awaits uh, quite a good outing. I know some people out there in the critical world have not loved uh, what they've seen thus far of Secret Invasion, but certainly a, a taut and exciting start. Yes, and a lot to chew over, hence our premiere podcast hitting yesterday, Secret Invasion Saturday. But meanwhile, Matt, at Paramount Plus, the home of all Star Trek, Star Trek prodigies warping away? Yes, though production has been underway for season two for some time, uh, it was announced in rapid style fashion here that a it has been canceled after the second season production is still going to continue but it's furthermore going to be taken off of paramount plus season one uh season two will not see light of day on it uh in an attempt for it to be sold to uh some other outlet couple of weird takeaways first is the official announcement from paramount plus talked about this being a paramount plus show for paramount plus paramount plus what happened to it being developed for nickelodeon and then also on paramount plus like all of that weirdly out of their press release um and again as you say pete just this strange circumstance in which all star trek except for this one show question mark uh it will live on paramount plus for the future Maybe there's a question mark on there as well. Yes. And statements here from uh, the Hageman brothers that obviously, you know, they want the better future that Star Trek offers and they're disappointed here, but they're hoping to find a new home. There's, of course, been uh, petitions started. But Matt, these streamers and these studios going out of their way to uh, one up one another in the self owning. Uh, first, we had the AI credit sequence uh, for Secret Invasion. Uh, you know, Marvel, a company with uh, a pretty distinguished track record as far as art is concerned. During a writer's strike, and granted your credits are, you know, other than conceptually not written, uh, but uh, farmed out to a computer. Um, then, of course, you had uh, Amy Pascal, uh, you know, getting the third degree because apparently the working conditions for uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse being uh, hellacious and even um, accusations here that they're not going to hit the 2024 uh, date for the sequel. And now you have this. It's interesting that you should call that self-owning in terms of, you know, 
the, the context of making a mistake for oneself. The other definition of self-owning, this idea of the halcyon days of yore when it came to streaming, that you take the things that you own and you make your little silo, um, which is to say like all Star Trek on the thing that owns all Star Trek. Part of what struck me, in addition to the fact, like perhaps this is all sadly above board. Maybe Star Trek Prodigy is not uh, getting the clicks on Paramount Plus that they had hoped. And it is weird, like, oh, we're going to shop it to somewhere else. Like, why not just shop it back to Nickelodeon, which you also own? I mean, maybe it's just a reflection on how cable is a less attractive place these days, you know, whatever that might be. But Pete, here's a thought that I had, because it wasn't just Star Trek Prodigy that this was done to. I wonder if maybe Star Trek Prodigy was always meant to be the headline, because here's the other shows that Paramount Plus has canceled in similar fashion and will be removed almost immediately and things of that sort. Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, so the Grease prequel, which, by the way, was about strong women. Uh, the uh, competition show Queen of the Universe, which featured strong drag queen singers, uh, as well as The Game, uh, a, a show about strong black culture viewed through the lens of football. Um, kind of weird. I mean, you, you want to celebrate the diversity of Star Trek and so forth. I think that's part and parcel with it. Um, but again, I, I would just like to put forth that the press release mentioned all four, but all the headlines said Star Trek Prodigy, Star Trek Cartoon, Star Trek, Star Trek. And it seems that, in my opinion, not enough people are noticing, oh, by the way, Paramount Plus also canceled shows about strong women, strong drag queen singers, you know, black culture and things of that sort. Um, th that's equally disappointing, despite the fact that I have not watched those latter three shows. Yeah, I had some interest in um, Rise of the Pink Ladies super quick turnaround and, uh, you know, uh, disappearing act here. This is not a new phenomenon. Disney has begun doing this as well. The, um, the world, according to Jeff Goldblum, uh, taken off Disney Plus this something that helped to launch that streamer so um yeah really really questionable moves none of these other than maybe in the mind of money obsessed shareholders being right i think too and not to be a downer here but it does beg the question if it could be done to what i think could could caringly but honestly uh, be called perhaps uh the least watched uh kurtzman era star trek show if it could be done to prodigy what else could it be done to in the star trek sphere let's say on paramount plus or i guess by extension any of these other shows you know is is ms marvel the least watched uh, mcu show and th does that disappear uh etc etc it's a it's a weird precedent, especially if these shows don't end up somewhere else. They're just kind of gone there. There's not even, you know, the, the Blu-ray release. It's just now they've been disappeared. It's a strange, right. strange existence. That's that's the thing. That second um, half of the first season for Prodigy is not physically available. Uh, Rise of the Pink Ladies, not physically available. You know, longtime listeners might remember I'm, I'm a big proponent of physical and this is only going to help to cement that 
Well, Pete, from some disappointing news here, let's now hopefully have the, the uplift of warp speed as we head into the mission briefing. Overlooking a brightly lit neon of a city, a woman whispers to her husband that their daughter, who has a broken leg with a visible wound, isn't healing and needs a hospital. But the man worries if they bring her, they will see who she really is. She calls for her mother and tells her it'll be okay, insisting to her husband the leg needs to be set or it won't heal because her system can't handle it. Just then, the wound glows and the father maintains they'll be discovered and lose everything. He says they'll figure it out and Una will be okay. We cut to the Una of today, where Captain Battelle is offering a deal, wherein Una fesses up to her, her you know, secretous ways, secretive ways, uh, and will get in exchange a dishonorable discharge from Starfleet. Uh, she will nonetheless maintain full citizenship in the Federation, be free to go and all of that. The takeaway being... Uh, you admit to this, and everything just gets swept under the rug. Problem solved. And Pete, no problem with that legal representation, right? Well, her attorney agrees it's a good deal and says the charge could carry two years at the minimum, something Una thinks they should sidebar. Patel says that's a good idea, but number one asks how he... Her counsel can counsel her when he works for Battelle. Pike, meanwhile, has gone to the Volterra Nebula, where it is difficult for humans to breathe. Uh, I'm realizing, Pete, that that is also just the whole function of what's getting him in the door and so forth, which is a nice bit of uh, story magic there. Uh, the receptionist says that Counselor Ketul is too busy to meet with Pike. Pike says he can wait. Uh, or can he? His oxygen level going from 2% then 1%. Uh, by the way, the receptionist just wonderfully played here as kind of semi-caring receptionist. It's just, you know, like I say all the time, Pete, there are no small parts, only small actors. And she is maximizing this part here. Uh, with Pike's oxygen almost out, the receptionist runs off. And Pike is indeed brought to Ketul. And because Pete... Uh, Anson Mount is a handsome man who can only wear a mask for so long, lest his handsomeness burst through. Uh, Nira Ketul makes the air acceptable to him, uh, which means after a couple, couple of gasps, uh, mask is off. Uh, and we get the wonderful line here, you know, excellent exposition uh, that uh, the, the normal air, uh, the, the normal air of this place, uh, is acceptable only to modified Illyrians. Pete, that's because this is a planet for modified Illyrians. Do you get it? She, Nira, has not returned Pike's calls to help Una, uh, but she says it was only a matter of time until she was outed and that Starfleet will never allow an Illyrian to openly serve, but that's not her problem. Pike doesn't know what happened between them, but they were friends. He recaps the mission to the abandoned Illyrian colony on Hedimit 9, where he saw what can happen to Illyrians who attempted to reverse 
their genetic modifications so the Federation would accept them. And he admits they were wrong about their people and lays out the stakes for number one. Nira says she's lucky not to be charged with sedition. Uh, she's familiar with the proceedings of the sealed case. And Pike points out she's had 10 cases against Federation thrown out or overturned in the last two years for insufficient evidence. The case could raise the profile of her others. Uh, and Pike cautions her she should not let whatever happened between her and Una get in the way. So he asks her to look at the case file. This scene is one example of many times in this episode where all the pieces within a scene with new characters, with their new motivations, all the pieces are working together. Again, this notion she's reluctant to share. We don't know why yet. We find out later in the episode, but that's, you know, Pike needs something to get in the door. It's the oxygen mechanism here. Uh, similarly, fine, he's in the door. She doesn't want to take the case. So he's floating this zero and 10 uh, record that she has against the Federation. This can be your one to improve it. Again, it's just kind of remarkably compact, but it doesn't feel, and at no point do we feel like we're getting exposition, exposition, even though Pete, parts of this episode are our heroes watching this episode along with us. But I digress back to prison. Una is reflecting. Uh, she's holding the badge, all that Starfleet means, etc. It's Nira at the door. It's the first time that they have spoken in 25 years. What's Una's version of these events here? Uh, short version, please, says uh, Nira, because she knows we got to talk the episode later on. So let's keep it moving now. Uh, Una says that her record is spotless. Uh, the only thing that has changed is that her Illyrian status has now been outed. Someone turned her in, uh, and she's going to be kicked out of Starfleet as though none of it ever happened. Uh, and Una highlights that she shouldn't have to hide. None of them should. Uh, and Nira admits uh, that she will be taking the case, not for Una, but for the Illyrians who won't or can't hide. Aboard the Enterprise, Battelle goes to Pike's quarters to inform him that number one rejected her deal and how difficult it was to get that approved. He says maybe she should have thought about that before she arrested her. She broke the law, but what if the law is wrong? She didn't ask, Battelle didn't, to be put on the case and has done everything in her power to help Una now that Una has rejected the plea, the judge advocate general is interested in a case, and that won't be good. She says she'll see him in court. Pete, in rosier uh, Hollywood times, perhaps this would be a setup for Star Trek, colon, judge Ag advocate general, or JAG, colon, Star Trek. But uh, instead, we'll just be satisfied. JAG Trek, yeah. Uh, Judge Javis uh, is in her uh, her her office uh, and sees Battelle and Vice Admiral Pasalk arrive as the prosecutors for the case. Uh, and with indeed the rejection of the earlier deal, they come with uh, with heavier charges, including sedition, 
dishonorable discharge, dishonorable dismissal being on the table, along with 20 years in a Federation penal colony. Uh, we get taken to the credits. This episode written by Dana Horgan and directed by Valerie Weiss. In consultation with her counsel, number one learns the additional charges are to make an example of her. Nira says they have to fight and has the first name on the prosecution's witness list, Admiral Robert April, who it so happens sponsored Una's application to Starfleet Academy. But Nira doesn't think Pasalk would bring a friendly witness without a strategy. Una wants to take the stand, but Nira explains it will just present an opportunity to tear her or her friends down. They will do it her way this time. Another function of this scene is to hammer home Pasalk as the kind of the, 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 the uber antagonist here. I think that we naturally have a friendly uh, feeling towards Captain Battelle and kind of on a certain level just instinctually understand, oh, she's the devil's advocate. She's fight. She's the one side. She's the prosecutor. She's not, this is not personal, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the idea that Pasalk here and then later on is the one really kind of putting, putting feet to the fire is, uh, is well planted here. And also I think a great way to preserve the Battelle character in future episodes. Pete, I had to confess, and maybe this is just a function of the time between seasons and so forth. I was shocked to see on memory alpha that this is only Battelle's third episode. Now when I go yeah. back and think, I go, okay, the first one, the last one of season two, but it feels like Battelle has been around forever. Um, and I'm glad that they're, I'm glad that this story is insulating itself where a, we get to have Battelle, but B Pasalk is the real antagonist here. Well, on escorts Nira to number one's quarters where Pike suggested she set up shop and requests access to the Starfleet uniform code of justice and Una's service records. She did dismisses Lon, but she asks if she's familiar with Starfleet versus Wick, um, used as an example of fruit of the poisonous tree. If evidence is illegally procured, it becomes inadmissible. Lon thinks that's the case with Una and wants to look into it. Which itself is this... Um, I think in the writing room, they said, great, our A plot is this kind of really compelling court case, something that we clearly set up at the end of last season. The secret goes back even further. This is There's quite an arc to this, and this is the resolution of it. But I think the writing room said, we kind of need a B plot of some sort. And I think it's this notion of, you know, ultimately this this B plot, which is obviously running very close to the A plot, this B plot of who turned Una in. Um, if nothing else is also a way to keep other characters looped into the story, because again, not a criticism, but there are characters in this episode whose sole function, uh, I, I think of nurse chapel, for example, their sole function is to sit and watch star Trek on the big screen TV. And that's, that's kind of all they do. So I like that here, here we have this side mission for, uh, for La'an. Um, but back to Battelle and Pike here, uh, it's noted 
uh, as they're in the, the the lounge, the observation area, the the mess hall. Uh, it's noted that he is not on the witness list. Great a- acting here. Battelle is sympathetic at first. How did Pike and Una meet? Oh, back at the academy. Test mission stories. Could have, you know, uh, been done so much better. His test mission and so forth. But then Battelle turns cold, asking Pike under fake oath, uh, under a you know fake cross examination here, uh, when Pike was complicit in the lie. He is required to answer. It is supposed in this you know uh, fake scenario here. The takeaway being that if he does indeed testify, he could be charged with conspiracy and the crew impacted. So essentially, that's why says Battelle says the episode. This is why Pike is going to be on the back bench. For much of this episode. Meanwhile, Ortegas and Imbenga watch a conversation between Spock and Pasalk. She sees Vulcan bros, but he points out hatred in their body language. Spock comes over and expresses regret over the outburst they witnessed, which they will keep to themselves. Spock admits of all his father's former colleagues, Pasalk brings out the worst in him. My only criticism of this excellent episode is, you know, show not tell. I would have loved to see, by virtue of the fact that the camera that can move closer, you know, we're not on stage and so forth. I would have loved to see some of that body language, maybe a a close up of the, the tightened jaw, the clenched jaw or the, the 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 hand in a fist momentarily or something like that um maybe that was i mean i i feel like it's kind of such an obvious thing maybe they didn't have time on the day or maybe it was put in the edit and it slowed things down too much but i, I feel like again the, the ability to the ability to slow down time and do a slow-mo like exhale of frustration or whatever it might be i i feel like it was right there and and, and instead we got as i said tell not show by making it imperceptible, I, I think it's a better choice. That I, was the outburst. You couldn't tell it was an outburst. He has to tell us it was an outburst. A fair point, a fair point. I also wonder, too, I, I don't mean to veer into theories, but I think of how in the first season we would kind of occasionally have questions like, hey, did you catch that uh, when they rescued number one in the series premiere that uh, there's this there's this mistake where laon calls her chief she's not chief she's a commander later that's explained so maybe maybe this is set up for pasalk v spock uh sparring or flashback or something like Remember, that he's he's having trouble controlling his emotions right now so when we couldn't tell he completely lost control of his emotions towards another vulcan he rage quitted on the bridge, Laan wants Uhura to collate all communiques regarding, uh, regarding Una, including personal logs. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That last part there about personal logs, uh, that's against regulations. That's personal. It, it, it is. It is. Although it's, it's kind of like, you know, Pete, as the aforementioned Amy Pascal learned very, very well, you know, don't put in a, in a private corporate email that which you would not want uh stated publicly you know i guess here too the personal logs at the end of the day if you're like and i'm setting up this meeting between the klingons and the romulans so we can buy bombs and bomb starfleet hq like 
okay, there may be bots that occasionally check your personal logs and flag stuff for review uh, as needed. Um, but ultimately here, this notion that La'an is giving an order to Uhura to get those personal logs. Uh, no, 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 that is an illegal order, says Uhura. Uh, and the, the voice of reason here, we must find the information properly. The ensign has quickly found the backbone to turn down her, her mentor, uh, who's only trying to clear her mentor. Um, but it's the right move and why Uhura remains for us a moral compass in addition to an every person. The court is in session in a familiar looking space uh, to Star Trek fans with Admiral Javis joined by Space Command Representative Zus Tagel and Commander Chiv. Una consents to Patel as the prosecutor and the charges are read as Pike and his crew watch from the briefing room. Una pleads not guilty and Patel lays out the case against genetic modifications following the eugenics wars, which Nira concedes uh, but points out slavery, apartheid, and other institutional discrimination were once legal as well. April takes the stand and testifies he would not have sponsored Una if he knew about her modification. Nira asks him about General Order 1, recently renamed as the Prime Directive, which he has chosen repeatedly to sanctimoniously sidestep. Patel objects, and Javis tells her to cease the line of questioning. Nira explains Una did not choose to be modified as it is, it's an Illyrian cultural practice done to children before birth for survival. April asserts the law against modification exists to prevent genocide, but Nira says it is motivated by fear and racial prejudice. And again, this notion, uh, perhaps not an earth-shattering notion in a courtroom episode of TV, but this notion that legal and illegal are relative, uh, the idea that fear has been built into this utopia and thus fear has been baked into the system, so how can we trust an unjust system? Uh, I'll also point out, too, story, there's not a criticism here, story-wise, the magic thing that saves the day is the three plus one uh, conditions in which asylum can be gained that we'll discuss towards the end of the episode. What I find, and again, you want to say, well, that's a, that's a fake thing. So therefore they can build to it in a way that we don't see coming because it's not a system that we're necessarily familiar with. Fine. But just this whole notion here that like, it's very familiar Star Trek turf to be like, don't forget the prime directive. I forget the prime directive. What about like, this is an age old Star Trek thing. You know, we're having fun eating our popcorn going, Oh, we're talking about the prime directive. Uh, when in fact the episode is also building towards its conclusion and it's, again, with all due respect here, it's kind of get out of jail free card. Um, again, I just marvel at the construction here and maybe even greater than that is this luminous performance from Yutide Badaki, an actress I must confess, Pete, I was wholly unaware of until this episode and I feel like should be the next 
the next great star in the next five years to go from obscurity to great, great things because she commands this episode. Battelle objects again, and Chiv tells Nira that Una is on trial, not April, nor the Federation, and strikes his testimony from the record. The crew questions the strategy, and a perplexed Pike seeks solace in his quarters, where April comes to see him and refuses a drink since the court didn't get to hear how he promoted Una and recommended her for the Medal of Gallantry before he storms off. And that wonderful, I don't know whether there's a script detail or an acting detail, but the, you know, the two drinks poured, the one drink turned away. You know who could use a, a double is Pike who pours it into his glass. It's just, again, this is this is... A nearly flawless episode here. Nira and Una talk tensely. Uh, and for Nira, this is a soapbox and a stepping stone in order to ding the Federation. She's prepared to leave Una behind, in fact. Uh, but it was, it is floated Una who left Nira behind in the past, setting up future testimony, future dialogue to reveal more about the past. Um, and Pete, just when we've kind of settled into your standard courtroom drama here, Probably somebody said, we need to keep things moving here. Time for a montage as we get testimony intercut from La'an, Spock, and Mbenga. Uh, Una helped rescue La'an. Spock met her on his first day. She has shown Mbenga that she was discreet and professional. La'an's successes, including saving the lives of others, uh, were made possible by Una saving her life. And Spock... Uh, notes that Starfleet is punishing itself uh, with this line of prosecution, which is a great moment of kind of use of Vulcan logic here to say, yes, there is law and law breaking and punishment of law breaking, but also the larger issue here of the health of Starfleet. If only Spock's first day as an ensign on the Enterprise and his subsequent discovery that Una was hiding the fact that she was a big fan of Gilbert and Sullivan could be the subject of some kind of short treks. Watch it now before Paramount Plus takes that too. <laughs> I have it physically. They're not, they can come and pry it out of my cold, dead fingers. Pete, I'll just mention tangentially. Uh, I saw on Twitter they were saying, oh, get in touch with these Paramount Plus people to have them reverse the uh, reverse this cancellation for um, for uh, Prodigy. And I said to myself, and you may have said the same thing, hey, that's one of the people who suggested that if we had a podcast that used Star Trek in it, that we might get in trouble. And that's the same person who promised you to send you some posters to give to podcast listeners for people who love Star Trek and then never sent them. So... Funny how things happen, I suppose. Or is it? Later, Nira is given the Starfleet Uniform Code of Justice by La'an. Uh, that is, given given her the book uh, from La'an, not written by La'an. Uh, has La'an found how Una was outed? Uh, no, but La'an thinks it was herself, La'an, uh, who had recorded a personal log on the topic. 
Uh, then some nice uh, characterization here for La'an. Does she worry that she carries her family's augmentations, that there's a hidden monster? Nira notes that La'an is looking down on herself because she has been taught to do so by society, which I would argue is the real center of this scene here. La'an can do good or ill like everyone as for the personal log issue, it takes six months and boatloads of requests. Therefore, it was not La'an's uh, uh, personal log here. So who turned in Una? It would be someone who could gain from the truth. We talk a lot how an episode could take a different form in the editing process. They went to court in the interim, and now suddenly La'an is bringing... Uh, Nira, the Starfleet Code of Justice, as if she's been in a court and not had this document beforehand. And, oh, oh, hey, uh, update me on um, the details of your investigation. Have you found anything out yet? So um, they obviously wanted to slot it later in the episode. Um, I would suggest the way that they did makes it unrealistic that she would go into court without knowledge of this document. So you're proposing that this scene perhaps was written was to written appear earlier and then edited later. I'm also thinking there's the added kind of story bonus of we get to break up the courtroom stuff, which again, not a criticism, but the courtroom stuff is interesting. Side note, the use of a pre-existing Star Trek Discovery set Starfleet HQ in the 32nd century. Um, I don't fault them one bit. I mean, the amount of time that Star Trek The Next Generation spent on the movie bridge set, sometimes taking out everything except for the walls, like it's that's part and parcel with Star Trek, part and parcel with just smart use of your sets. And furthermore, this uh, courtroom set, I mean, the, the, what they've added to the set in terms of the, the, the artwork and the red curtains and so forth, it's really, really lovely. It is kind of a weird space in that the people at the 12 o'clock and 6 o'clock positions are separated by a big hole in the ground, and they cover it up nicely with camera work. But but for all of our characters to be involved with this, as I've said, they're sitting on the Enterprise watching Star Trek on the big screen TV. It's a good It's a good process in editing to say, we have a bunch of people sitting around watching other people talk. Let's break that up with, you know, I realize this scene, scene, Pete, with the Code of Justice, it's also two people talking, but it's a new setting. Someone enters, someone has a thing, someone has a revelation, someone exits and things of that sort. So I think it's a good edit, although I'm never going to not watch this episode again without thinking of um, your notion that this actually was meant to come earlier in the chronology of how it was scripted and probably shot. No wonder Lon feels like she's just been hit by a shuttle. Nira changes her tact and calls Una to the stand, much to her surprise. She joined Starfleet 25 years ago to reach the stars through hardship and deliver her to salvation. Nira asks about her childhood, which Pasalk taps Battelle to object on relevance. The judges allow it, and Una explains she grew up in the Volterra Nebula, where they were 
given provisional membership to the Federation before she was born in exchange to agreeing to stop the practice of genetic modification. But her family held to its traditions in secret. A boy she went to school with was arrested. His name, Ivan Katul, her best friend's cousin. And he was persecuted as an augment at 10 years old. Taunts turned to attacks. She even broke her leg trying to break up a fight at school, but her parents wouldn't take her to the hospital and it became infected. If they hadn't found an Illyrian doctor in the night, she would have died. And ultimately, the city was divided into an Illyrian and non-Illyrian area, and the uh, family went to the non-Illyrian area to blend in, leaving other family and friends like Nera behind. Yet she still strove for Starfleet. Nera asks who turned Una in, which she hesitates to answer, and finally admits it was herself because she was so sick of living the lie. She witnessed a crew of Starfleet when she was five or six and marveled at their beautiful diversity. She thought if they could work together, perhaps she could work with them too. She turned herself in because of her belief in the ideals of Starfleet. And this scene, the real foundation here, and it's, it's using that Star Trek magic Things like, you know, anti-augmentation laws, uh, letting people act on their worst instincts, uh, stores refusing to serve uh, Illyrians, uh, disparity in medical coverage here. Uh, you know, it's it's very clearly pulling from different and, and unfortunately familiar types of discrimination to put it all together in this uh, you know, in this Star Trek presentation of glowing aliens who self-heal and all of that to really make the make the potency of the message clear. It is at this time when Pasalk takes over the questioning, asking when Pike found out, uh, trying to determine a breakdown in the chain of command, in, indeed pursuing notions of fraud, perhaps conspiracy, Battelle, it is noted, did not have Pike and others testify, uh, which again is helping, I think, us preserve the Battelle character as friendly, though, on the other side of the, the, the courtroom here. Um, but we can see she shielded these people to not have this discussion. So Pasalk asks now, when did Pike and crew learn that she was Illyrian? The answer is four months ago. And to Pasalk, this is indeed conspiracy. Yes. So uh, really going to attempt to take it all down. Uh, and the the four month timeline uh, punctuating this with no further questions to come back from a act break here to make uh, what is in effect his closing argument um, that logically they find Una guilty of all the charges. 
Nira asks Battelle to read Starfleet Code 8514 about captains offering asylum. Nira makes an impassioned argument that by turning herself in, Una asked for asylum, which Pike granted by exercising judgment, much like April on the cited instances before, had used his judgment to grant protection under General Order 1. All the tribunal needs to do now is confirm that status. Anira explains that she loves the law because it is a beacon to our better selves and that the court has an opportunity before it, ultimately granting the request for asylum and finding Una not guilty of all the charges. And again, such an elegant construction here that, you know, obviously aided by a series of writing decisions, including the fact that it's Una who secretly started this process and it's Una who has been leaving these little uh, breadcrumb trails. But I just marvel at, at this idea that the whole case has been set up partially knowingly done by Nira, partially, partially uh, done by Una. Uh, to reach this point where use of Starfleet Code 8541 can uh, can serve as as that ideal. And uh, Javis, as judge uh, in judgment, notes that genetic engineering laws stand for good reason. However, lines are shifting, and in today the unique circumstances are to be judged. Uh, Pete, which is also your handy way of saying, hey, when we do chronologically the next genetic engineering story which is going to be in deep space nine in about 100 years that discussion can still stay in place because the laws are the laws are going to remain the unique circumstances judged today uh and indeed asylum is granted and uh una is found not guilty of all charges una beams back to the enterprise and is greeted by the crew in the transporter room where nira is also waiting Una thanks her and apologizing for not doing more in the past as Nira receives a hand for her involvement in the case. It's not an end. It's a start. And from that start, Pete, La'an and Una share a moment before Una orders everyone back to work. Uh, Pike and Una share a hug and then he gives her a nice pat on the shoulder there. The episode ends with a close-up on Una as the Star Trek theme plays. I felt like me, I don't know what a slightly better ending would be. I felt like ever so slightly something was being, something better could have been done here. But it's an episode about Una. Star Trek uh, ideals and and messages win the day. So if we're going to end with a close-up on Una as the Star Trek theme plays, so let it be done. We have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Where should we begin? How about we start with Captain Battelle? To have her be the one apprehending number one at the end of the first season, and now to be prosecuting the case. Granted, she says she didn't 
ask for it, but she's also doing it. Um, and the tension here between uh, her and Pike, palpable. Yeah, it's um, it's a really nice use of the character. Uh, and again, you could have just gone for one-off lawyer person, or you could have had, you know, uh, j- you know, just just uh, other other forces of opposition here. Uh, it, it's nice to have her here. We of course also have Vice Admiral Pasalk, which, as I said, I think is overall overall he is our main antagonist here. Even though really, Pete, it's the system that we're fighting against. Um, but great actor, distinctive look, uh, great demeanor. Uh, I feel like it takes a great actor to really nail performing as a Vulcan, and uh, I think we get that here. The cold you know, logical Vulcan trope, clearly, you know, seven decades in is well-worn, yet creating a situation of conflict between Pasalk and another Vulcan, so other Vulcans don't even like him, Matt. Um, And then when he goes for broke and goes after Pike, we definitely don't like the guy i mean somebody's gotta fulfill this role something needs to present an even larger threat than the idea of losing number one but taking down others with her uh who were protecting her uh under the guise of conspiracy and you know all sorts of uh shadows they want to attempt to throw out there Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories. So, Pete, it's been two months since Una was arrested, two months in Showtime. Has there simply been an acting XO, or has there been, like, N-O-X-O? Or should we just not worry about that because we're actually talking about, like, people's civil rights and all of that? I mean, Spock took command of the Enterprise in the previous episode when Pike... The, the real world explanation was that Anson Mount, they had just had a baby um, and they obviously had lead time for that and were able to write around that for that first episode. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's Spock as he will eventually rise to that rank anyway. Will, or rather, when will the glacially slow memory alpha note that the courtroom is a redress of discovery starfleet <laughs> hq set because which itself is a redress of the section 31 ship from season two which itself is a redress of the uh uss shenzhou from uh the first season of star trek discovery quick somebody who has editing writes on memory alpha go put that in there because it's bothering me that it's star trek sunday and this episode's been up since thursday and nobody has put any of that well that's why people listen to us isn't it there you go uh another point here pete again nitpicky but you know i welcome the return of melanie scrofano's captain battelle here i I like that we've never gotten a first name like it keeps things professional even though sometimes pike and battelle are 
horizontal. Uh, anyhow, I, I welcome her return here. It's great to have her versus random lawyer because you get the professional and personal conflict. That said, Pete, square the circle for me. The Captain Battelle is a starship captain out there exploring the deep reaches of space and also sometimes an officer in the JAG office. I mean, you could task somebody with doing that. I think what makes it work and even worse is that she's under the yoke of Pasalk. Uh, you know, my boss, this is going to make him do this. So it's very clearly driven by an agenda. Though the Vulcan says, oh, you know, we're going to put aside emotion and it is about the law. It's about the facts um, that, again, the half Vulcan, half human Spock has a beef with him, casts him in clear opposition. Makes me wonder if maybe Pasalk used to pronounce his last name differently, just like the governor of Florida, who I think is kind of like Pasalk. But I digress, Pete. Do you think that Spock and Pasalk's issues will return in future episodes? Will we get more of that? Is this a sly setup for the next or the next or the next episode, much as we saw in season one, how... Again, we'd say, oh, well, that's weird. And then two episodes later, that's actually the center of an episode. What's interesting is that back-to-back episodes here, we've had mention of Spock's parents. Last week, his mom, Amanda Grayson. This week, never by name, but the implication of Ambassador Sarek. So could there be some kind of journey to babble prequel that maybe a sojourn with Battelle. I mean it look it certainly could be and it it is slightly heartbreaking that we had such great actors and performances uh in this you know kind of the first two seasons of discovery in this portion of the Star Trek timeline um f- again to see Sarek to see Amanda and then Obviously, they were kind of more discovery-oriented characters than they discovery moves to the future. And we know that there's this freeze of time where Spock does not talk to his parents X number of years leading up to Journey to Babel. Um, still, you could work into the story somehow. I mean, they're they're right there. They're great actors. It's, it's, it's all there. So I say bring it on. Pete, what other theories do you have? What happens now with the Illyrians and the idea of this law? You've granted asylum to number one. She's in Starfleet. She remains in service. She is a highly decorated officer. Will we return to this subplot? I think if they would like to, yes. If, and I don't mean to be dismissive here in any way, but if, if if let's let's look as far as this season or this season and next season if if star trek inc if kurtzman and company say okay we've done the very star trek episode on an important topic that of you know the metaphor is illyrians but it's discrimination against people based on their their gender their identity their orientation their race and so forth we've done that and we now want to maybe focus on other things um, then maybe we don't return to this. If along the way 
you want to have an Illyrian cadet uh, be part of a cast refresh in season, late season two, season three, season four, whatever that might be. And wow, I get to meet you, Una. You're the reason I was able to join. What's neat about the construction in this episode is you have these three plus one conditions, the, the, the three things that then the captain you know, agrees to, and then you have a, a, a Starfleet board approving it. That's the plus one. Um, you have a series of steps where some more people, some more Illyrians can come in, but it's also not opening the door for a variety of reasons, including, you know, we've never heard of the Illyrians before, so that's why there aren't Illyrians in Next Generation, because we haven't opened the, the doors wide, that sort of thing. So the Illyrian stuff, obviously this retcon to the character of number one, which we knew so little about, uh, you know, going back to the abandoned pilot for Star Trek. But now the idea that through a genetically modified race of individuals, that there are the connections to La'an and Khan, Nudi, and Singh, or Matt, as I've dubbed them here, the Khan connections. <laughs> that that scene where La'an's past is reviewed, I, I feel like it does, it sticks out ever so slightly for one of two reasons. One might simply be because they want to get to that line that we all are capable of good and ill and it's what you do with your potential, not what your, uh, what your forebearers represent, whether we're literally talking about genetic modifications or baddies in the past or, or that sort of thing. It also could be like, you know, could we be setting up a on episode? Maybe, I don't know, soon? Maybe we're going to have a on episode next week? Maybe she's going to reflect on her family. Maybe she's going to visit a period of time um, shortly after or during or around the eugenics wars and Khan Noonien Singh and all of that. You know, it, I guess we'll, we won't find out today. Maybe we'll find out like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, something like that, to <laughs> see if this is setting up more La'an stuff soon. Well, I mean, it doesn't take much to think of the idea of flipping the script, Matt. We know of the pending reemergence of her favorite, Lagon. What if, you know, oh, there's going to be a, a treaty talk, and instead she goes all Khan, Noonie, and Singh on their ambassador? As we said in the season preview, part of what is so remarkable about this show, this show, which in many ways is designed to be, you know, a throwback with some modern convention, you know, episodic, uh, episodic episodes, for lack of a better term, but season long emotional arcs and things of that sort. Um, but part of the great fun is we really can be setting stuff up with the foreknowledge of they have a season figured out ahead of time before they presumably before they really you know break scripts and all that um we can be doing that we can be really setting up something that's going to pay off maybe next week uh maybe in five episodes maybe at the end of the season as we get to surprise it's now officially you know gone war uh, whatever it is we can be setting those things up well in advance with that pete let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir 
We start, as we so often do, with our Twitter poll uh, in which people were able to rate the episode uh, in our standard one through four here. Pete, a one uh, police emoji, guilty, got zero percent. Two raised hands, defense weak, got 9.1 percent. Three pointing finger emojis, prosecuted as great, got 9.1 percent. And then four female judges, winner, got 81.8 percent. Some replies on Twitter, Andre Yeager. At Dr. Polo 1983, I loved this episode. I felt like I was watching an episode of Perry Mason. The courtroom drama had me on the edge of my seat. Best episode of the series so far, in my opinion. Uh, Pete, I may be inclined to agree with Andre. 12 episodes in, this might be the best. It's definitely up there. It's so different from what we've seen so far in the show, but definitely harkens back to the, the legal drama that we can get in our star trek you think about the original series you think about the next generation uh next up from the network formerly known as hbo that's at kclyle1 on twitter i'm a big pew 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 fan but it seems every star trek show has this kind of episode they're usually done well and this is no exception Great performances, lots of drama. Pike's hair is on point, and giving some par- character background uh, is always great. Next up, Ortegas. Uh, and indeed, Pete, I would welcome an Ortegas episode. Uh, we hear from Spiderham Lincoln, Tess LC139 on Twitter. This ranks among the top Star Trek courtroom episodes. The destination was not this story, but the journey to get there. Una's reinstatement was a foregone conclusion, at least to me, and it was a pleasure to watch it all unfold. Stranger Worlds is batting a thousand for season two. Next tweet, Pete, comes from Brett Desmo Williams. It's at BW Desmo. Uh, I know they're bound by 60s era canon, but it makes me uncomfortable that Starfleet would be so openly prejudiced regarding uh, gene mods. Not uh, evaluating the person, but their existence shows how prequels can be limited by the past they live in. Love the episode, though. Um,. I had not considered that perspective, Pete, in part because my view from the get-go was this is an episode that's talking about the world in the 2020s through the lens of fake Star Trek stuff, uh, not through the lens of fake Star Trek stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I, I think you have to look at it from both sides. You know, the Nera brings up the, the things we know to be so clearly wrong, apartheid, racism, prejudice uh, of, of all kinds. And then the idea really that if you had people that had no choice in their modification, that it was done to them, for them, um, that they lacked the consent of it, that it wasn't done to get ahead or breed a master race or anything of that. I mean, though the issue's very hot button now, uh, they could just as easily be talking about the concept of AI and, you know, not something that we should just throw the baby out with the bathwater, but rather consider what is a legitimate use what is a misuse? 
We hear from at Gooner JCH, who says, I think this issue is a can of worms. When Star Trek first established this rule in the series, they didn't think through the ramifications of genetic modifications or how other species superior natural abilities, some superpower like compared to natural humans. Now they drag this out into the open. And once again, the arguments were muddled both for and against lacking in nuance and constantly shifting focus. The show clearly tried to put one POV under a poorer light, but couldn't double down on it because they knew it's problematic. Ironically, it was resolved on a technicality and tabled for future generations. I hope they don't bring this up again, at least not as the center of a story, because there's no absolute right or wrong on both sides. And the way the Star Trek universe is designed, this being an issue made no sense. Your thoughts there, Pete? I mean, is this episode of, of TV going to change people's minds on an issue like so many things in our current society, probably not. Um, Pasalk there to say, oh, well, you just got a, an emotional explanation, but don't be swayed by that. Here are the cold, hard facts. And then what ultimately happens, Matt, Nira gets to bat last and brings it full emotional again and, and sways the three judges. Um, yeah, I mean... It was a preordained outcome. We always had to get number one back. How do we get her back? How do we move things forward? And like I said, I think it's a real baton handoff here. Oh, this augment story now continues to get carried by La'an because you know they want to do Ka'an. To the email inbox we go, Pete, hearing from Josephina, who says, I hope I'm not emailing too late. Now that we have the crew back together again, we can get on with season two. Maybe next time we'll get an Ortegas episode. She's sort of the comic relief character of the show. This lawyer was one tough cookie. Man, if I was in that room, I'd stand up clapping. But she was right. They still have their work cut out for them. Good to see Captain Pike's special lady is still special to him. I was hoping their relationship wasn't going to be altered at the end of last season. The dress uniforms look sharp, perhaps perhaps too much gold accents for my taste. What sort of communication badge were they wearing in court? Anywho, glad to have you gents back on the podcast for the weekends. Semper Fi, that from uh, Josephina. I, and Pete, I think the, the, the uh, ribbon type stuff that they were wearing was, was ironically tied into similar goofy stuff from from uh, classic track yeah really uh smartly i think updated for the hd and the the cameras of today um you know yeah is it a little flashy it is it's it's meant to um give us the idea of ceremonial dress uniforms i like that they um encompass both the discovery idea the different uniforms as well as the the yellow the red the gold that we're used to from the original series pete we have an email from james killen he says uh hello matt and pete i guess the best uh start the best place to start is by saying that yatide badaki should just get her emmy now her performance was mesmerizing and brilliant she's apparently a huge fan of trek herself if you're not watching the ready room all i can say is hit it 
This episode pro is probably my favorite courtroom drama, in or out of Trek. I couldn't believe how invested I was even knowing with near certainty what the outcome had to be. The writers pulled no punches. I can't think of a Trek episode that took on issues more directly and called them out so eloquently. One of my biggest disappointments in media is their collective failure at consistently pointing out that asylum seekers uh, need not follow immigration law to seek asylum. They just need to show up and ask. No question can remain in the Trek universe on the issue. The actual legal defense in the episode matched with the performances just made it perfect. The moments of comic relief were done so well, especially Spock's outburst. The courtroom set was amazing, and there were so many small touches. Somehow the use of an uh, actual bound paper book was the coolest technology in the episode. <laughs> the exchange between Una and Nira uh, regarding passing hit me in the gut. They took full advantages uh, full advantage of these two actresses being on the opposite skin color spectrum to drive home a very nuanced point about privilege and oppression. Passing in the racial sense is still somewhat of a taboo subject, so it was a brave writing choice. The cinematography is so much better than on other Trek shows. The shots of the Enterprise crew reacting to the courtroom proceedings got me every time. I feel like the non-Vulcan actors get to go overboard in facial expressions. It almost seems like a production gag. Pike's hug was the chef's kiss. We should all look uh, so good in aprons, by the way. Finally, I'm glad to see that uh, it's all uh, it's still all connected this week since we got two groups of persecuted people that can thrive where humans can't and sometimes choose to blend in with us. Of course, Pete, he's referring to uh, Secret Invasion as well, which I must admit was not a connection I made. But let me wrap up James' uh, email here. Stay fantastic. That from James, who, again, is blowing my mind that we really did get two episodes of two different shows in two different universes that explored a similar theme. And uh, he just blew my mind. So thanks, James. With aliens with pointy ears, nonetheless. <laughs> well, I mean, James the sagacious there, as always. Uh, yeah, I think you're looking at a, a short list for uh, guest actress for Emmy here with uh, Yatide. With that, Pete, let's hear from Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 2. Interesting episode, quite reminiscent of the trial of Data, because it also was about recognition as a person, as an individual, and in this case as a equal, let's say, race. Also going back to the trials in TOS and the original series movies. So it's in a good Star Trek tradition that we get an episode like this. Of course, that didn't give a action-packed episode, but that's not that important. It doesn't have to be always. It gave a nice background view in the lives of some of the characters. Not only Una, but also, for instance, Laan. What I found a little improbable is that after Una's judicial acquittal, I had to look up that word, by the way, uh, I didn't know what it was in English, uh, but after her judicial acquittal, that she was reinstated in her position as commander. Okay, that there was an acquittal, okay, but then reinstate an Illyrian in the original rank, that's a different thing. 
And my wife, who also watched the episode, thought exactly the same. But yeah, how would we go on in this series without her? So that was a little weak, I think. It was nice to see Melanie Scrifano here back as Commander Patel, and she had a bigger role than in previous episodes. And uh, of course, you know, I talked about it before. I have met her on a Winona Earp convention once, or actually twice. Final topic, as a geneticist, I of course have always a little, well, ambiguous feelings about genetic wars and genetic altered persons, people like here. And the point is that technically seen with the technique of CRISPR-Cas, we can alter the genes of embryos and so of people. So we're not that far away from such topics. Okay, that will be all. Greetings, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, I just want to go on the record right now and say that if Captain Battelle comes for Fred in the Netherlands for, uh, you know, being a geneticist or, uh, you know, in some attempt to frame him for future genetic modifications, we're all going to rise up. Maybe the potential for a time travel episode next week or this season um maybe they're they're out there to try and get admiral fred and then along the way get waylaid in i don't know a toronto area haberdashery or something like that and don't know how uh rotating doors work revolving doors work but uh could it be pete that we are just a couple episodes away for somebody making reference to admiral fred stranger things have happened strange new worlds have happened Pete, this entire Strange New Worlds journey could not be made possible without those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek and our ongoing thanks. Uh, Pete, we don't turn the money there into baubles that we wear in our, on our dress uniforms and so forth. It's to keep the podcast going, your storage, your bandwidth, etc. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you in that door can't contribute right now get yourself over to apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or a review to any of our 34 podcast feeds pete let's certainly keep the star trek conversation going how can people be in touch with you on social media find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r, 12,700 77 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter is looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram and gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait be there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the p and the h all one word like it today pete as we continue to make our way through this uh, very interesting summer with weirdly similar space pointy eared shows uh looking forward to next secret invasion saturday and next star trek sunday uh goodies coming along the way before you know it pete going to see indiana jones podcasting that as well as uh as things move forward for now though i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word don't you think we should sidebar this conversation 